process that began to take place because of the, the youth leaders. Um, we, always, we always talk about the pastors and, and people like that, but the youth leaders here at First Baptist that, that encouraged me and just, they just kept inviting me along, right? I said no a lot. I said no a lot, but they would say, hey, I, I want to invite you again. I want you to invite you again. Eventually, the Lord got a hold of my heart and life, and then I became a pastor in Allegan. It's always strange to me. Uh, I was pastoring a church, Allegan Bible Church, just a few miles down the road from here. But I was in Pastor Turner's office all the time asking him questions about how I'm supposed to be doing this thing, right? Um, he gave me some great advice to help me along the way. I could have gone to the pastor on the other side of um, town, my dad, and asked for his help. But who wants to go to their dad and ask for help, right? So I come over here and bug Pastor Turner. Um, and then Pastor Carlson, when he began pastoring here, he taught me a very important lesson about um, taking time with people, right? Just that man will sit with you forever and listen to you talk. And so um, having time for people, I learned a great lesson from him in spending time with people. So, so grateful for um, the preparation and the soul care that I received from First Baptist Church, even from people who have no idea that that's what they were doing. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, uh, Luke chapter 12, 35 through 48. And how I arrived at this passage for this morning is really quite simple. I'm going through Luke with my church and Nathan um, said, hey, um, these are some things that I would like you to talk about. And I preached this sermon last week and I got done and Tracy goes, I think you covered what Nathan asked you to talk about. So um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna preach this again. This is good for me because um, now I'm I just have to continue in Scripture where I'm at, and that um, is always better. It's always better to continue where the Lord has been growing you than to jump around. Right? It doesn't help us out nearly as much. So uh, Luke chapter 12, the Lord Jesus Christ is He's doing a lot of teaching. He's doing a lot of teaching. He's doing a lot of defending of the faith. He's doing a lot of uh, correcting what people think and what they say. And um, that's why where we arrive uh, in Luke 12, verse 35. And he, he, he begins a new conversation here. He says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. 
The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required and from him to whom they entrusted much they will demand more. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, as we seek to understand your word this morning, as we uh, dig into it a little bit, I pray that your spirit would come upon our hearts, that it would encourage us, that it would strengthen us, that it would convict us in the areas in which change is necessary. I pray, Lord, that as we leave this place, that we would not leave the same as we came, but we would leave because of obedience to your word and your spirit walking in a closer relationship with you. Thank you, and we pray, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified in what takes place here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So living ready for Jesus. I have a picture here of, a, a, a obviously, a young man who is uh, waiting for a, a big date, and he's hoping that everything is going to go well. He has his, uh, hopefully, his suit on and his rose This reminds me of um, prom my senior year, right? Prom my senior year of high school. Um, I was not wise enough yet to know Tracy Morgan. um, And so um, she was not my date for prom. But I remember getting ready for prom my senior year. And I I borrowed a car from my grandfather because he always had really nice cars. And so I borrowed a car from my grandfather and I washed it and made sure it looked great. And I was down in Colon, Michigan with my grandmother, and I had to drive up here to my parents to introduce my date to my parents. And on the way up here, we got a flat tire. Misery of miseries. My, my parents didn't want me to have to drive a car with a flat tire, so they were scrambling to um, uh, clean up one of their cars so that I could take that car um, for the night. And uh, just the fact that that night began badly meant... The rest of the night was going to continue to decline, right? That's the way it goes, right? So uh, the rest of the night uh, continued to decline. I I went into the restroom uh, uh, about halfway through dinner, and I noticed that there were um, little yellow spots growing on my face as a result of the stress that I was feeling. And um, so it ended up being a miserable, miserable senior prom night, which probably the Lord wanted it to be a miserable, miserable senior prom night because... Um, I was a teenage boy with probably not good plans in mind, right? So I was well protected. But we are to be people who are prepared, prepared for the coming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to talk about what that looks like, right? It's not supposed to be stressful, all right? This is like getting ready for a house party. How many, how many of you throw parties at your house? You, you ever you throw parties at your house? You invite guests over. They're going to come, right? And um, when you're getting ready for them to come, you, you get everything prepared. And you know those nights when, when um, things just don't seem to go together the way they're supposed to, and you're hoping that the guests arrive a little bit late because there are a few more details you need to get in order. And it is stressful, terrible time. You're prepared for him to come. You are ready to have the night. And when they get there, everything's going to be fine. But you are under so much stress. 
Then there's the rest of you, some of you. Um, the morning before the party even happened, the house was completely prepared. Everything is laid out. Everything is ready for them to come. And you don't have any stress at all. In fact, you're um, pacing in front of the door waiting for them to arrive because um, uh, you're anxious for the party to get started, right? This is the kind of preparedness we're talking about. We're not talking about a stressful, we've got to be going gangbusters until Jesus comes. We're talking about a prepared, I am doing what the Lord wants me to do so when he comes, everything is going to be good. I want you to remember this this morning. Remember these things. It's on the bottom of your outline, the second side. It says, we must be prepared to faithfully carry out that which God has made us responsible for. All right? So these are the things I want you to remember. We must be prepared to faithfully carry out that which God has made us responsible for. Prepared to do the work Christ has called us to. Secondly, we must be ready for the greater responsibility he may have in store for us. As we do the work that he has prepared us to do. Thirdly, we must understand that those with greater responsibility will have greater accountability before God. And we must not let this greater accountability deter us from God's will for our lives. Now let's look at how we get there. He says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. We're instructed to actively... All right, understand this. We are instructed to actively, not passively, wait for the return of our Savior. All right? And what does this look like? Everything is in place and ready for Jesus' return. All right? We have prepared. We are um, diligently ready for the Lord Jesus Christ to come. Uh, the, the opposite would be, the passively would be the individual who's going to have a house party. They're going to have a house party. They're going to have guests come. And they just go, hey, you know what? Everything's just going to be fine. You know, uh, uh, when they get here, we'll figure out what we're going to eat. And when they get here, we'll, uh, maybe there's some dishes that need to be washed. Hopefully, um, we can take some dishes out of the dishwasher. Everything will be fine. You know, they just kind of, hey, however it goes, it goes. When Jesus gets here, hey. Whatever I've done, I've done, and whatever I haven't done, I haven't done. That's passively, all right? Actively is, I'm working towards the goal. I'm working towards the prize. I have a purpose set. I know what the Lord has called me to do, and I've done these things. I'm ready for Him to return. Sometimes Tracy will go on a trip. Not very often. Tracy does not leave me home alone very often. Um, but sometimes she does. She'll leave me home alone. And my goal when she gets back from a trip is to have everything perfectly in place when she returns. That's the goal, right? I want all of the laundry done and put away. I want all of the dishes done and put away. And I'm not talking about dishes in the dishwasher. I'm talking about everything's taken care of. Everything's wiped down. The floors are clean. The dog hasn't created a, a mess. We have a big, a big dog. So we have all of these things. I want everything perfect. And so when she is coming home, I'm constantly asking, are you close yet? How far away are you, right? Because secretly what I want to have happen is I want to have everything prepared for her to get there. And I get to take a nap before she actually gets home, right? Because I'm, 
Uh, I want her to not realize how stressed out I was making sure that I got everything ready, right? So this is, this is everything in place. Everything is ready for Jesus to come. When he comes, I'm sitting there waiting for him to come through the door. The New Testament, they write, this, write about this. The writers of the New Testament give us some uh, instruction in this. Peter says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the re- revelation of Jesus Christ. So we intentionally set our minds on the hope of Christ's return so we're not distracted by the temptations around us that could easily lead us astray. How do you keep from, from falling into temptation? One, one means for that, Peter says, is to intentionally pursue the things that Christ has directed us to do. If I'm thinking about Jesus, I don't have any room to think about sinning, right? It removes us from temptation. So we intentionally set our minds on the hope of Christ. Christ is going to come. And I want to make sure that I'm doing what he wants me to be doing. I don't want to be in the wrong place. Philippians three seventeen through 21 says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory in their sh- they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. So we are, we are showing others how to deny the flesh and patiently wait for the glory of heaven. All right, so we are we are um, uh, being an example of individuals who are 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 not pursuing uh, the things of this world all of the time. We are denying our uh, fleshly desires. I try to practice this at home. Sometimes it's frustrating because I have teenagers in my house now. How many of you have have teenagers in your house, right? Yeah, you have teenagers in your house? So, right, I'm a responsive preacher, so you can talk back to me, right, while we're, right? So, if you have teenagers in your house, this is what happens. When it's not dinner time, they're eating. And when it is dinner time, they don't come, Right? But in our house, what I try to practice is I try to um, be the last person to eat, right? I try to be the last person to eat, and so that means um, uh, Tracy gets her food, and the kids get their food. And Henry, my um, middle son, is nearly my height now, and he's growing like a weed. And so every time Henry gets to the food, um, I'm watching very closely because I think that probably he's going to take more than um, his share, right? And I'm not going to get any, right? So I'm watching closely to make sure that I'm going to get some food. And I'm saying, oh, Henry, you sure you, I'm not sure you like this, this food as much as you think that you do, right? But part of this practice in my mind is I have, I have a problem because I really like food. Does anybody else here really, really, I really like food. And, and I'll keep, if, if it tastes good, and Tracy's a pretty good cook, so I, I keep I keep eating, right? 
And so I go last. Part of it is because I feel like my family ought to be fed first. But part of it is because um, uh, I want to take all of it myself. Right? And so it's a practice for me in denying the flesh and not taking as much as I would otherwise. Right? And so uh, what we are doing as believers here, we are thinking about heaven. And so we are not worried about the things of this earth, what I do have and what I don't have. And we're showing other people that we don't have to have these things to make us happy. In our readiness... We sometimes deny ourselves inexpedient things because of our purpose in Jesus. 2 Timothy 2, 3-4 through 4 says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Sometimes we decide not to do things or have things that it's okay for us to do or have. Because it's not the best thing for the work of Christ in our lives. That's another hard one for me. Because I like things. Um, especially I like cars. Is there? We have car lovers here. I, I know that there are car lovers here. Because I know some of you have some really cool cars that I wish I had. Right? So, but um, I, what I really like right now is a, a Mini Coopers. Right? I just think they're cool. Right? They're cool tiny little cars right i'd love to have a mini cooper but i don't have a mini cooper because i have no use for it at all right there's no reason like i can't fit my kids in it i can't haul plywood in it nothing like it doesn't do me any good at all right so i don't have it i keep hoping that um when elizabeth is a teenager and she needs a car that i can get her a mini cooper right so then i have a reason for having one right but i don't have one i don't have one because it's not expedient it's not it's not helpful to my life at all it would just be a a prize that sits in the driveway it doesn't really have any benefit to it there's nothing wrong would nothing be nothing wrong if i had a mini cooper but sometimes as believers we set aside those things that aren't helpful to the work of christ because they would just be a they'd be more of a hindrance to it. Those things that are not expedient. He says, soldiers don't get entangled in civilian pursuits because they don't have time for that. Philippians 2, 14 through 16, last thing from the New Testament authors here. Um, In our desire to live ready for Jesus' return, we put aside pettiness and live among the lost as those with hope. Do all things without grumbling and disputing that they may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Our desire to live ready for Jesus' return, we, we put aside pettiness. We... We should be the individuals who are willing to to shrug off the things that just don't matter that much. When somebody cuts us off in practice in traffic, they cut us. Maybe they cut us off in practice too, right? But they cut us off in traffic, and we just let it. We uh, it's fine, it's fine. They're in a hurry. We begin praying for them. I, I hope that they get to the the place that they're supposed to um, uh, in an expedient way, right? I just drove through Chicago yesterday and, and I had to practice that a lot as I was 
driving through Chicago. We, we are people who allow those things to roll off because our hope isn't in whether or not life is going the way we want it to. Life isn't going to... Can I give you some news from the, the New Testament, from the Gospels, from the Lord Jesus Christ? Life isn't going to go the way we want it to. Did you know that? Because this world is falling, fallen and decaying. And because it's fallen and decaying and it's under the curse of sin, things are not going to go the way that they're supposed to go. It's just not going to happen. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ because when He returns, it will. It will go the way that He intended for it to happen. In fact, it will be better than we hope. Right? That's what we're counting on. That's what we're looking forward to. And so we let these things, we let these things go aside. They don't matter that much. Prepared to greet our Savior when He arrives for His church. This is what it looks like. He says, And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to Him at once when He comes and knocks. We recognize that those who are living prepared for His return are blessed. We need to recognize that. It is a blessing to live prepared for Jesus to come back. Alright? There's no stress in that. Do you understand that, that if... If our expectations of this life and this world are, are, are pushed aside and we're just waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back, then the, the anxiety and the depression and the, the, the frustration that comes with living life in this world, it, it goes away. Because those things become to ma- begin to matter so little to us. It's a blessing to be an individual who is living prepared for his return. But even more than that, it says Jesus is prepared to serve those who have been serving him when he returns. So there's a blessing now in the life that we have because we're surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a blessing to come because look at what it says. It says, truly I say he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Listen, only Jesus does this. No other master does this. All right? If you if you go to the White House to see the president, then he's going to, he might sit down at a table with you and he might eat dinner with you and you will be served wonderfully. But not by him. Somebody else is going to serve you. But this says that if you have spent your life preparing for Jesus to come, if you've spent your life serving our Savior, that only Jesus, who has delivered us from sin and death, and who has redeemed us from this fallen world, and even though He is the entire reason for our being there, when we are with Him, He will serve those who have faithfully been serving Him. He will serve you. He won't assign somebody else to do it. He'll come around and he'll say to each and every, every person who has been serving him, he will say, thank you. Bless thou good and faithful servant. Thank you. Bless thou good and faithful servant. Masters might say thank you. Masters might be even good to their people. Masters do not serve their servants. Jesus does. That is a great blessing. 
says, especially those who are living ready when the Savior's return seems less likely. So, yes, you'll be blessed for serving Christ. You will be served by Christ because you served Him. But if you're serving Him when everybody else is saying, He is never coming back. This is not the time. It says, if He comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Because people don't come in the second or third watch. But if Jesus comes in... The time when nobody is is looking for him, you will be blessed, especially blessed. The return of our Savior holds an expectation of readiness because we don't know when he's going to come. We hope he comes soon, right? We hope he comes, um, we hope he comes before the bill for the stimulus packages comes due, right? We hope he comes. The return of our Savior holds this expectation of readiness. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. We don't know. We don't know when Jesus is coming. I think that things have to get a lot worse. I've read the book of Revelation, and it seems like things are really bad when the Lord Jesus Christ takes us home. I don't think it's that bad yet. But I don't know. The Apostle Paul thought the Lord Jesus Christ was coming soon, right? We're prepared because he could come at any time. Do not be caught unprepared, he says. Do not be caught unprepared because you did not know when the Savior would come. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. My parents used to leave us alone as kids. Five kids, my my parents would leave us five kids in the house by ourselves taking care of things, and they would go and they would go get a Coke, right? Today, Tracy and I go on coffee trips. My parents would go get a Coke, right? So they'd go get a Coke, and um, we had it figured out. We could do anything we wanted to while Mom and Dad were gone, as long as everything was taken care of by the time they got back, right? But I remember one specific day that, that the, the front door of the house opens up, and Chip had thrown me across the room. I am flying through the room while my dad walks in the front door. And that did not end very well, right? We were not prepared because we didn't think they would be gone for such a short time, right? We don't want to be caught unprepared because you didn't know when the Savior would come. We don't want to be like that. We want to be prepared. Jesus is coming. I'm ready for him. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Peter wonders. He wonders. Who are you talking to now? Are you talking to the Pharisees? Are you talking to the disciples? Are you talking to the crowd? Who are you talking to? I, I need to understand. And this is how Jesus answers. And the Lord said, here's the question which answers who will be rewarded and to what extent they will be rewarded when Jesus returns. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? So the question is, who will be faithful to care for God's people while Jesus is away? This is who he's talking to. He's talking to those people who will take up the mantle and be faithful to the Lord's calling on their life. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. It is a blessing to be identified as a servant who cares for that which belongs to God. God has positioned each and every one of you as believers to do something for his kingdom. I don't know what that is. 
I don't know what your role is. I don't know what your giftedness is. I don't know how large it is or how small it is, but God has gifted you to do something. And it is a blessing to have been identified to serve the Lord in that way. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. God will allow those who have shown themselves faithful to care for what is his. He says, all right, I've given you something to do. You did a good job. I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you something more to do. Because you can do more. Because I I have seen that I can trust you with more. But there's a warning to those servants placed over that which belongs to God. They must not allow a frustration with the Lord's timing to corrupt their thinking. Verse 45, but if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, right? Don't let, don't let, um, don't let a frustration with the Lord's coming. He's not coming fast enough. I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. And so they frustrated with the Lord. What do they do? Uh, this kind of thinking leads them to the mistreatment of God's people as they had become lords themselves. Sometimes the Lord doesn't work fast enough. Sometimes the Lord doesn't accomplish the task we want Him to accomplish fast enough. And so we begin getting angry with the people around us. Pastors do this all the time. Pastors get frustrated with the people who are caring for and volunteering in the church because the church isn't growing fast enough. Did you know we do that? Did you know we get frustrated with workers because of that? It's their fault, right? And we forget the Lord's the one doing the work. Did you know that? If a church grows or doesn't grow, God does that. It's his determination. So, as we're doing what the Lord wants us to do, we get frustrated that they... Things aren't turning out the way we want them to. Parents do this too, especially moms. When when uh, kids not doing what um, they expected, mom expected they were going to do with their lives. Go, gonna have to have a talk with them. Gonna have to straighten them out. Going to have to discipline them so that they do what they're supposed to be doing. The Lord's directing their lives. The Lord's caring for them. The Lord's guiding them in the way that they should go. If we're frustrated with the Lord's timing, this thinking will lead to self-indulgent lifestyle. We begin to think, we begin thinking, well, um, I'm not getting what I want by serving the Lord, so maybe I should get some of the other luxuries that come along with it. This has happened, also happened in the ministry. Pastors have become um, uh, uh, not servants, but they're, they're powerful, influential leaders. I don't know about you, you should read the New Testament. I don't see any powerful, influential leaders amongst the apostles. They were, they were servants, right? They served Christ. They served the people of God. But this kind of thinking of frustration with God not working fast enough will lead us to a self-indulgent lifestyle. Thinking frustration with the Lord's timing will, um, it will, if this happens, God will arrive in the life of that servant and they will, when they least expect it, So this individual is frustrated that the Lord is not doing things the way they want them done. And so they begin um, getting upset with the workers and they begin indulging in the, uh, the things that actually belong to God, using them for themselves. And there's a promise here that the Lord is going to come into their lives and he's going to discipline them for that. We've seen it happen. The last, just the last two years, we've seen the Lord come into the lives of very powerful, influential church leaders and crush them. 
because they began doing these things. It's a promise here, a warning. When God arrives and sees that they've acted as if they are Lord, he will destroy them and put them with those who have misused the opportunities they've been given in Christ. And, all will, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Those who know what God has desired of them and they have not lived according to his will are severely disciplined by the Lord. It says, and that servant who knew his master's will but didn't get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. So some of you go, I don't want any of that responsibility. So I'm just not going to do anything. And then I'm, I'm going to take my chances when I get to heaven. Maybe I won't have any rewards, but at least I'll be there, right? And Jesus says, no, no, no. If I, if I, if I give you a responsibility and you don't do it, I'm going to discipline you. For not doing what you know you're supposed to be doing. There's a responsibility there. There's a, there's a, a call upon us to do with what the Lord has given us to do. Those who do not know what God has desired of them. And they have not lived according to his will. Are disciplined lightly. But the one who did not know and did what, what deserved a beating. Will receive a light beating. So he says some of you don't know what you're supposed to be doing. You haven't figured it out. We, we, would say, we would say, these are believers who have just not been um, raised up and strengthened and, and um, instructed in the Word of God in the way that they should go. That happens. Happens a lot. Those individuals are still saved. They're still going to go to heaven. But there's a discipline that they're going to go through while the tr- Lord tries to reveal to them the things that they're supposed to be doing. Everyone to whom much was given, to him much will be required. God will hold us accountable for the responsibility he's given us over that which belongs to him. It it doesn't matter what your responsibility is. Maybe your responsibility is to be a mother or a father. Maybe your responsibility is to be um, a teacher or a Sunday school teacher or uh, an evangelist in the community. Maybe your responsibility is to be a testimony in your workplace. Maybe your responsibility is to to lead a church in in song. Maybe your responsibility is to, to send little notes to individuals. Whatever your responsibility given by God for the care of his people, God's going to hold you accountable for doing that thing. And if you're not doing that thing, when he comes, that means you weren't living prepared for him to come. Because all those who are living prepared for Jesus to come are doing the thing that Christ has called them to do. Remember this. Here's where we get back to the remember, right? These are the things we're supposed to know. We must be prepared to faithfully carry out that which God has made us responsible for. Whatever it is, whatever God has called you to do, whatever God has made you, uh, gifted you to do, you are not the one who gets to say, all right, I did my time, now it's time for me to quit. No. That's not how it works. God will be the one who decides when it's time for you to quit. Some of you have asked about my dad. Uh, Grateful for your prayers as we went through a difficult time this fall, his passing away. I can tell you this about my dad. He kept telling us, in two more years, I'm going to retire. And then the next year, he'd say, in two more years, I'm going to retire. And then the next year, the same thing, right? So I don't think he was ever actually going to do it. I don't think he was actually going to retire. So the Lord said, hey, listen, I'm going to take you when you're at the top of your game. You're doing well. You're being faithful. You're loving your wife, you're loving your family, I'm going to take you home. 
that's where we all want to be. No matter when the Lord decides to take us home, no matter when the Lord decides to um, return for his church, we want him to say, hey, you were at the top of your game. You're still serving me faithfully. You're still doing what I had called you to do. And then we must be ready for the greater responsibility he may have in store for us. We must not be afraid. Can't be afraid. Oh, if I do this thing and I do it well, they're going to ask me to do more. That's okay. The Lord will still work in you. The Lord will still strengthen you. The Lord will still pour his grace upon you and lead you and provide the means by which you can do this other thing that he has for you to do. We must understand that those with greater responsibility will have greater accountability before the God. That's true. As the Lord increases your responsibility amongst his church, your responsibility before him will be greater. That's why um, uh, church leaders get in greater trouble for doing things that people who have just gotten saved do. Because with more responsibility is more accountability before God. Don't be afraid of that. I want to be accountable before God. I want to stand before the Lord and have him say, good, you, you did what I asked you to do in, in everything and I kept asking you to do more and you kept doing it. That's what, thank you for that. We must not let greater accountability deter us from God's will for our lives. There's, can, I, can, I, can I just tell you this? There is nothing better in this life than be, to be walking in the center of the Lord's will. There's nothing better. Whatever it is that he has for us. If he wants you to be a missionary, go be a missionary. If he wants you to be a pastor, go be a pastor. Do you know it took me 26 years to figure out that the Lord called me to be a pastor? I, I've been pastoring for a long time. And just in the last year, I looked at Tracy and I said, you know, I think the Lord called me to be a pastor. It's kind of crazy, right? But I was just doing it because I felt like that's what the Lord had for me at the time. Every day, we need to do what the Lord has asked us to do. A friend of mine said to me one time, most, most important thing anybody ever said to me happened in a kitchen. I said, he said, what are you going to do with your life? And I said, I am going to change the world for Christ. And he said, just put that aside. He says, you do every day what you know the Lord wants you to do. And you will find yourself in the center of God's will. And God will take care of the rest. Be ready for Jesus. Do today what you're supposed to do. And then tomorrow, figure out what that is. And then the next day, figure out what that is. One day at a time. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, what a wonderful thing it would be if you came back today. Praise you for that. But if you tarry, if you remain preparing us for your return, if you keep us here serving you, I pray that we would do that. That we would do it with all our might, with all of our desire, trusting you with the outcomes as we simply do what we know we're supposed to do one day at a time. 
May this bring you great praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.